As most of you know, um, they have been covering it fairly extensively this week, but today uh, marks the 10-year anniversary of 9-11. And uh, we as a staff felt that uh, we could not uh, let it go by without pausing to remember and, um, and offer a prayer uh, on behalf of those who lost their lives that day, uh, on behalf of the ongoing uh, struggle that 9-11 threw our country into. Uh, I've heard a lot of questions asked. I've heard, what's the Christian's response to 9-11? What's the business person's? What's the firefighter's? You hear all this, you know, what's the blah, blah, what's the appropriate response? Anger, sadness. Um, it feels very present this year for some reason. The 10-year anniversary. I don't know why, but it, it does. So what is the proper response to uh, an event such as 9-11? I am drawn to the words of Christ Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, to commemorate the day, uh, we're going to show a little uh, a little slideshow. We're going to sing a song called Hard Times. Uh, it's a song that's always spoken to my heart and ministered to me. It was written by the American songwriter Stephen Foster in the 1850s. It's been done for many, many years. Um, uh, let's just take a minute and reflect and uh, let the Holy Spirit speak to us. And um, here we go. pleasures and count its many tears while we all sup sorrow with the poor there's a song that will linger forever in our ears oh hard times come again no more tears a song aside of the weary hard times hard times come again no more many days you have lingered around my cabin door oh hard times come again no more while we seek mirth and beauty through bright and lovely days, there are frail ones fainting at the door. Though their voices are silent, their pleading looks will say, Oh, hard times come again no more. Tis a song, a sigh.
come again no more Tis a sigh that is wafted Across the troubled wave Tis a wail that is heard upon the shore Tis a dirge that is murmured Around the lowly grave Oh, hard times come again no more Tis a song, a sigh of the weary Hard times, hard times come again no more Many days you have lingered that is our prayer yet we know the full realization of that will not take place until we're with you forever in eternity but we thank you that you're the God who hears when we cry and today as we remember those who lost their lives on 9-11 we also remember what you've done for us we thank you that you're the God who hears hears us when we cry you know that the weight of each that each person carries this morning. You also are the God of all comfort. And I pray that you would comfort as only you can. We also thank you that you're the God of all hope. That where there's death, you have overcome it. And you're the one who brings new life to us when we seek you. And Father, we pray for those who hurt this day because of what happened 10 years ago. Thank you for your favor. We thank you for your protection. But Father, we also thank you that you remind us that our lives on this earth are short and that you're preparing us for a place that's better. And I pray that even what we do this day would honor you in that way. So thank you for each one here. I pray this morning you'd fill me with your spirit. I pray you'd guide us to your heart. And we'll give you praise in Christ's name and all God's family said. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Like all of you, if you would, to take this card out of your bulletin. And it says the ABF prayer team. Uh, And on it, you'll notice there's a little five by five. And in January, we began this. And so a couple times a year, we're reminding you that the key to our future, as we'll talk about that today in any relationship, any family, is seeking God and praying together. And what we're encouraging you to do is to say, would you commit five minutes a day, five times a week, to pray for this ministry, this church? And on the back, it gives you all the ministries, names of staff and people. And then on the front, it also gives you some of the different areas, and you can put your name on that. And we will, what we do is each week, we take the requests, and we put them on the internet. You'll get an email, and you can pray for as many or as few of those as you would. Every bit helps. And we're going to be doing this throughout the month of September, as well as we're launching all the other ministries that you've heard about. And uh, 
small groups, men's summit, women's studies, agape, on and on and on. Good things are happening, and we encourage you to take part of that. I'd like you to turn with me this morning in your New Testament to Romans chapter 12. And this day of remembrance, um, we're going to be talking about step families. And before I read the passage and before I uh, tell you why, let me ask a question here. How many here, you don't have to raise your hand, I'll tell you when to do it together, are part of a step family, or your parents are, or your children are, or you're a single parent? Would you just put your hand up, please? Put them up high. Yeah, look around, well over half of everyone here. And in a moment, we'll talk to you about why that's important. Well over half, more like 60, 65% or more. So let's read from Romans chapter 12. Chapter 12. Beginning at verse 9, it says, Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know everything. <laughs> Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. How many think that would well wear in your family? That passage? How many think that applies to families? Absolutely. And it applies particularly as we talk about step families today. And why are we talking about this? Did you know that step families are the dominant model of family in this country? What percentage of families are still what we call nuclear families in, in North America? When I say nuclear, I don't mean they blow up. That means the original mother and father and kids. What percentage of America is nuclear family? What do you think? Very good, 38%. So that means what percent are not? 62, right? 62% by the new math and the old math say that they, we no longer, the step families are the dominant model. You know, I have to confess to you that even as a pastor, and um, it was not until my first wife died 13 years ago that I really, even though I'd been raised by a single mother, I was very sensitive to single women's uh, plight of raising children. But it just, I realized there's a whole world out there that most of us in churches never talk about. And I did family series every year for over 30 years in, in, in church. Always did a family series or two. But it wasn't until then I began to realize this is where most people live. And so we're going to take a, just a, a time this morning in this family series um, designed for thriving families, and we're going to talk about this. And we'll find the principles not only apply to step families, but there's also truth in here for all of us. So the question this morning is where do we turn for help? 
Are there any examples you can think of that would help us? Now, most people know about the Brady Bunch, right? That's TV, folks. There wasn't a whole lot of help from that one. Are there any examples in the scripture about step families? Well, as a matter of fact, just Abraham, Lot, Jacob, Judah, Tamar, Hannah, Ruth, Esther, Bathsheba, David, and Solomon, not, not to mention, and those are just a few for starters. Most of the family examples in the Old Testament are what? Step families. Yeah, they are. So the Bible understands that if we in the church have neglected it, it wasn't because the Bible did. Just go through the Old Testament, you're going to read about them over and over. You see the complications and the challenges that are there. The reality today is that all families are battlegrounds for the hearts and minds of people. Now, why? Because we have an enemy of our soul. And Jesus said he comes, what? To lie, steal, kill, and destroy. And that includes families. And he's done a marvelous job in this country. We've talked about it over and over. What's the percentage of, of families that don't make it in America? The 70% of marriages fail in this country. And so he's done an amazing job. He knows how to break up families. But this morning as we talk about step families, we're going to ask this question. What are the unique challenges of step families? For example, is there any, how many here have ever ice skated? Look at that, all these Southern Californians who've ice skated. I'm not sure where you found it. You had to go to a rink somewhere, right? What's the difference between figure skating and hockey? Is there any difference? As a matter of fact, I said that in the first service, and Doug Weir came up to me. He says, you forgot one. I said, what's that? He said, how about speed skating? I said, well, you know, I can't. Doug was the California uh, state champion in speed skating in 1942. And uh, so he let me on a little, so some of you know Doug, and so you can ask him about it. Bring his, he can show us how to do it. But we will agree there's a difference between figure skating and hockey. And the same question today for us is, how do we respond to the pressures in family? And I want all of us to do something this morning. Whether you're in a step family or not, I want you to put yourself into the shoes of being a person in a step family. Into the lives of the children or the parents. I want you to enter into that because... You are all, we are all connected with step families. They're all around us. And what is it that God has to say to them and for them? Let me give you some reasons why um, there are some unique challenges. First of all, they all begin with loss and pain. The only way you get into a step family is either death or divorce. That's just the way it is. So it begins with pain. They understand there's pain. And it says, another way we could say, that all people in step families have already had their own personal 9-11. They know what some brokenness is in order to be part of that relationship. And when the smoke clears, there's rubble from the past. And so the question is, how, do these, how does a new life, how does a new relationship emerge? Are there any repercussions from the past? Is there any hope? And um, so the first thing is they begin with pain. There's a second one. A second unique challenge is that, this might surprise you, that prior experience is no guarantee of success and in most cases is a handicap. What do we mean by that? I know people say, well, I was married before, but I know how to do it better this time. I don't think so, folks. No, there's no the first marriage does not prepare you for a second one. Any of you remember that commercial? It, it was a guy, um, and he's, he's flying this helicopter. Some, uh, some snowboarders are getting on. He's taking them up to high up a mountain. They're going to do some extreme snowboarding. <laughs> And they get an idea that this pilot's kind of looking fine. He says, hey, have you ever flown before? And he says, no, but last night I did sleep at a Holiday Inn. Anybody seen that one? 
Well, that's about as good preparation to flying as, as second Mary saying, I was married before. It's about the same thing as sleeping at a holiday inn the night before. It's not going to prepare you. In fact, in some cases, it's going to do just the opposite. How do we know that? What percentage of uh, is the divorce rate? Is it higher in first marriages or in second? Absolutely. And every time you're married, it goes up. So there's a 70% national divorce rate now. When you add, it keeps going up. So there's no automatic guarantee because, quote, we're experienced, even though we think we are. And what we discovered as well is that too many people, particularly men, think, well, I'll just replace the past and move on. It doesn't work that way. We don't replace it. And too many do not deal with the issues that led to the divorce to begin with. And so all they do is they carry those same issues right into the next relationship. They merely repeat the past. And too often, most, too often we don't grow to become better people as a result of what, the pain we went through the first time. That should be the question. And then also, also, we settle for second best in the next marriage. You know why? Because we do not do our homework. Well, what do I mean by that? We don't check out the person we're going to marry. We don't study them enough. A couple questions for us here. Do we actually study the person's background? How much do we know about them? Do we ask the hard questions? Okay, you were married before, and, and, and what did you say were some of the reasons your former mate wanted out of the relationship? <laughs> you say, do we really ask those kinds of things? I think we do ask those. How about this one? If we don't ask some of these hard questions, do we ask moral and, do we do a moral and ethical check? I mean, has a person been sleeping around and say, well, I'm going to leave that now that I'm married? People believe those things. Do we get a reference check from people who know them best? Now, if you or anybody here owns your own business, you're going to hire someone. I know one thing you're going to do. You're going to get a reference check on that person you're planning to hire. Why? Because of the repercussions. Yet people get married and they don't do that. They don't go back and talk to the people who knew them the best. Say, well, you're supposed to do that? Well, I think so. Why wouldn't we? <laughs> Why wouldn't we use wisdom along the way. And we've said this before, so often someone will do research on the car they're gonna buy more than the person they were gonna marry. We see, you know a car is planned for obsolescence, you're gonna get a new one every few years. Marriage is for keeps, God wants it to last. And today what do many people do? Say, well I know what I'm gonna do before I get married. What do they do? They move in together, which is the ultimate disaster. Because when you move in together, when there is sex before marriage, in any case, premarital or other kind, guess what? It automatically begins to shut down the heartfelt communication. Because we know there's something wrong. And maybe people go on and they'll eventually make it work. But you know what? It does something. That person doesn't really begin to open up who they are. And so much is covered up. And then we talked last week about cohabitation, where most of the load of that falls upon the woman. She's the one who keeps the relationship together, does most of the work, even contributes a lot of the money to make it happen. I forgot to say this in the first service. Did you know that in a divorce, the income of the average woman drops 70%? Did you know that? And so there's all kinds of ramifications, and I believe God is saying that we need to do our work. Now, why do people move in together? What are the reasons they normally give? You know, why do they say? Because it's cheaper. We can move in and we can save some rent. Yeah, you'll save a little bit of rent, but the relational cost is going to be much higher in the future because you went ahead instead of built the relationship and did it God's way. 
Now, can God begin to deal with those things? Of course he can. Third problem is that old baggage must be faced and addressed or will be carried into the new family. What do I mean by that? Now, how many here before you go on a trip, you fly in an airplane or you go somewhere, you get out your suitcase and you load it with bricks and then you put in your clothes? How many do that? (laughs) Not too many in the first service either. But you know what? Just because we leave a relationship, guess what? We're carrying all the bricks from that relationship and more with us. It doesn't go away automatically just because we're out of it. There's a lot of pain that has to be dealt with. When we go on trips internationally, uh, Patricia and I, we, we fill lots of suitcases with things, but she takes gifts, and we come back, it's always lighter, so that's a good thing. But the kind of bricks we're talking about here are not the kind that we want to carry with us. These are the hurts, the wounds from the old relationships. They don't just disappear when we remarry. In fact, did you know this? If you don't deal with that, you merely remarry the person's former mate. That's what you're doing. You're mar- they're, you're, they're bringing them right along with you if you haven't dealt with those. And actually, it goes farther back than that. We'll talk just a moment, as we have here before, about issues that come before we're ever married to anyone. Have we dealt with those from our past? The, words, the, 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 the hurts, the wounds, the habits, all those things that have been difficult. And that's why it's wise to wait for some time before you remarry. Because men automatically think, I need to replace, so they'll run right out and find a relationship. Women usually take a little more time. It's wiser. And along the way, we don't ask crucial questions. What happened? How did I contribute to the problem? We don't ask the questions, where do I need to grow to change? Where do I need to heal first? What is God saying to me? Would it be right to marry this person without addressing my old baggage first? Those are all questions that need to be asked by everyone. And can God bless this relationship, or have I limited him simply because I'm just trying to run away? God can't bless a relationship. In fact, just because we want to get married doesn't mean God's going to bless it. And many, many people are wondering why there's such a terrific struggle. We just did what we wanted. And God said, I really wanted to bless you, but you tied my hands. You said, no, you wanted to do it your way. And so God is saying, have I let him deal with my issues from the very beginning? Do I deal with the wounds, with the insecurities, with the habits? And will I then give God the opportunity to work in me? Or will I be carrying extra baggage into a relationship, asking the other person to carry it for me? Is that right? Does that work? How is that? And by the way, the good news is this. If you're already married, and by the way, you don't have to go be a step family to carry baggage. We all, by the way, how many people on earth carry baggage with them? Just all of us, all the human race, we carry baggage from our past somewhere. They all have wounds, all have hurts. It's just a matter of degree and how much we've dealt with them. And by the way, if you're not willing to admit it, your family knows it because they, they experience it all the time. But the good news is this. It's never too late to get help. And in years past, as a pastor and our staff, we would ask people, well, how come you waited so long to get counseling? How come you waited? said, well, we thought we could work it out ourselves. Folks, if you could have, you would have. But because you didn't, you couldn't. Because you couldn't, you can't. I can say it again real fast. It just doesn't matter because it doesn't work. We're not going to work it out ourselves. We need third parties. And people say, well, I would have done it, but it was so embarrassing to go admit I needed help and counseling. I said, so you'd rather go through a divorce than be embarrassed that you might need counseling. See, if you broke your arm, you say, I can't go to the doctor. It'd be too embarrassing to admit my arm's hurt. We wouldn't think that way. Why do we think... 
it's any less digni uh, dignified to say, I can't do relationships the way I need to. Now, fortunately, that stigma is beginning to move away from people, and people are getting the help that they need to. And then people say, well, I didn't want to. And the other thing they'll say is, that I, we, we couldn't afford counseling at the time. Well, they could. They bought new TVs and cars and everything else. So what you're saying is that you would rather, how much do you think a divorce will cost <laughs> compared to getting help along the way? The pastor of the largest church on the West Coast, as a young pastor, as a newlywed, realized that he and his wife got along like cats and dogs. <laughs> they mixed like oil and water. They just didn't. And so he said, we got to get help. But they couldn't afford it. They could barely afford their apartment rent. So he got his credit card and he maxed it out. And he went, and he, week after week, till he and his wife began to get help of what a real marriage is all about. And, and uh, he said it took him two to three years to pay that credit card off. He said, best investment I ever made in my life. You've heard of Rick Warren and Kate Warren. They paid a price that now they've ministered to millions, multiplied millions around the world because they're willing to deal with the issues. Number four. A fourth challenge uniqueness of step families is that the issues of children and money, the big two, grow exponentially in a step family. Now, every family has issues with kids and money. But in a step family, they just go up. And let me give you a few reasons why that's true. And by the way, I, you know, I've talked to people. We're going to talk about parenting two weeks from now. Next week's marriage and then two weeks we're going to talk about parenting. You know, I've, I've heard many people say, you know, once they had children, they under, understood why some animals eat their young. Well, step, step family kind of grows that challenge. Now, here's why. Several reasons. One is that, that, that you have different developmental needs with children. What we mean by that is that birth order changes. So here you had little Osama. He's 10 or 11 years old, and he was the, the oldest in his family. And now he is in a step family, and he's got two older brothers who are bigger and stronger and meaner than he is. And he also has a new little sister by that other family who happens to be really cute, but now she's his sister? How weird is that? Ever thought about what kids go through along the way with some of those challenges? How about this one? They come from different family backgrounds. You have one family that has clear, definite rules, and they're enforced. The other ones, the rules are fuzzy if they have any, and they don't enforce any of them. Now they're together. Does that produce any interesting dynamics? Yeah, you bet it does. Any tensions? You see it in the Old Testament. How about Jacob's family? Da Jacob, who had how many wives? There were four of them. He, did he show preference? He showed them to Joseph and Benjamin, right? What did that produce in the other ten sons? Yeah, some resentment. Major league resentment. Because of how we deal with children along the way. Also, you have the old parent child loyalties. You might be the new step-parent, but guess what? Your new mate, your new spouse, is more loyal to his or her kids than they are to you, the new husband or wife. So how do you navigate those waters? How long does it take? What do you do along the way? That's a reality of real marriage. How do you work with that? And how long does it take to change it? Then you have the absent biological parent. Maybe the child's favorite parent doesn't live with them. They're somewhere else. What does that do in a child's life? Then the child is now a member of two teams. One or two weekends a month they spend with one family. The other two, one or two a week they spend a month they spend with another family. And it often is the case where 
The parents of this family are the chief opponents of this one. What kind of dynamics does that add in the life of a child? How do we navigate those waters? And then all about this, the step-parent has no legal rights with the stepchild. They don't have any. Now, there are many more than that, but does this help explain some of the challenges of remarriage and step-families? I think it does, and there's more than that. Now, we could talk about nuclear families just for a moment. In a nuclear family, do kids know how to work one, you know, the, the, the original family, do kids know how to work with their parents against each other? Little Raspberry comes in and says, Daddy, can I? And he says what she wants. Dad says, not now. You can have it after dinner. We can do that tomorrow. So what does she do? She's smart. She runs right to mom. Mommy, mommy. Sure, honey, you can have this. Because kids are smart. They're PhDs in figuring their parents out. They know how to work them. They know how to work the system, right? Just like you did when you were a kid. You know, which one was the one you could you know, spend enough time, you could get what you needed. So put yourself in the shoes of a child just for a moment. You're in a step family. You now have new parents, new siblings, new grandparents, and you didn't choose any of them. Hmm. And you're forced to live with this new family. And when she does, she discovers that she doesn't even like most of them. <laughs> sort of like Cinderella, right? Put in the same kind, same kind of situation. And let me ask you this. How many here enjoying with people that you don't enjoy being with on a regular basis? Some of you caught that. How many of you enjoy being with people you don't enjoy being with? Yeah, because that's, that's exactly what they have to experience. Now, folks, it says simply this. The rules of the game have been changed in the step family. Does this help us explain why we need help? And even if we're not in a step family, the principles we're going to share next apply to absolutely all of us. If you're in a family or thinking of being in one. So let's take a peek now as we've looked at some of the unique challenges. Let's look at how God gives us some um, uh, families that build a, a longer lasting foundation. By the way, I need to mention two things before we get there. First of all, it simply says this. It takes longer for step families to bond than nuclear families. Um, if you're in a hurry, it isn't going to work. You have up to this point, I have not talked about blended families. Do you have any idea why? Because most families, blended families, don't. <laughs> Those who study it say it takes between three and seven years for a family to begin to work together well and sort of in harmoniously if they're going to at all. It's not going to happen quickly. It takes time and a lot of work, a lot of prayer to make it happen well. The good news is this. God is up for the challenge. Notice 1 Peter, it says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you, step families included. And how about this one? If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Did you know this? Jesus was part of a step family, right? Who was His real dad? It wasn't Joseph. It was His heavenly Father, right? And do you know who wrote this verse, if you lack wisdom? Jesus' stepbrother, James, wrote that. And James, in the verses that went right before this one, said, if you're encountering various trials, what? Rejoice. He says, because God's going to produce something in you. So this passage about wisdom, we quote, oh, I need wisdom, God, for this and that. No, this is about wisdom to handle trials and difficulty. This is a great passage for step families or any family that's going through difficulty. God, we need wisdom on how to navigate these waters that we've not been through before. 
So here's the question. How do step families build a lasting foundation? The good news is God is up for the challenge. First principle is one you might guess. We need to fill our hearts with Christ. We need to fill our hearts with Christ. Why? Because the journey is long. And only as we become like Jesus are we going to be able to meet the needs of people around us and have our own hearts satisfied. So we build, we fill our hearts with Christ. Now it's interesting because did you know that um, what's in our heart is what comes out in our life? Jesus said this. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we hear people say things, it reveals what's in the heart. If it's good, praise God, there's good things there. If it's harmful, if it's destructive, that's what's in the heart. So the heart needs some surgery. We need some open heart surgery for God to do a good work in any family. And also, how do you know what a person's thinking? We don't read minds, but we can tell very, very clearly what most people are thinking if we watch them long enough. How do you know? You know, go ahead and say it. Pardon? Well, expressions is one, sure. That's one, but there's another one. Watch their actions. Watch their actions. You see, people live out their current dominant thought. Oh, sure, we can try to hide and hold secrets. But all the time, we are, uh, we're living out what's in our heart and mind. And so God wants to come and do heart surgery and fill us up. Another reason that God wants to do that is that we get full and then we leak. You notice that? Patricia and I are in between international trips and it's great to be here for a while, but there's a lot on our plates. And we both admitted, you know, God, we're, we're, we're pretty drained. And uh, he's been filling our cup back up, but it's easy to start to leak out. And then what happens when we leak out? Well, just who we are comes out. And the who we are is not what our family needs. They need much more than that. They need our cups filled with Christ so we can respond the way Jesus does, to be an encouragement to each other. See, well, wait a minute. Isn't this, you fill your heart. In fact, read this verse with me, would you, from Ephesians 3. Then Christ will make his home in our, your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. God's saying, draw your strength from me. Let me love you, and your roots go down, and you begin to develop a love that all the family, a family needs, and he is the reason for it. You might say, well, isn't this a passage for, for pastors and missionaries? I mean, all this stuff about Christ filling our life? Well, that's kind of like saying only a chef gets hungry and needs to eat. No, we all do. And so God is giving us tremendous help and a tremendous clue here in how to do that. So here's the question. What fills our hearts? You know what fills our hearts? We can tell by what we get excited about, what we talk about, what we spend most of our time doing. And it's what we think about the most. You know, faithfulness or unfaithfulness in a marriage begins right here. It begins with what we let in our mind. That's the key. And what we, then that begins to spill down into our hearts. And so if I'm growing down deep in Jesus, guess what? He's becoming my treasure. He's becoming a treasure, and we discover he's the only treasure in your life that will never let you down. Folks, we make all kinds of other things treasures, but every one of them will eventually let us down, including our portfolios, including even our closest friends and family members sometimes. All of our dreams and hopes will let you down somewhere except one. 
And that is if Jesus becomes the treasure of our heart. And there's none greater. In Isaiah chapter 3, I was doing my, going through, uh, kind of going through uh, Isaiah again in my own quiet time. And the Lord said about his people in Isaiah 3, it says, The Lord stripped away all his people depended upon when he brought judgment. He said, everything you've been depending upon for your security, your happiness and well-being, he took it away. Because why? They had left him out. They had ignored him. And they began to wonder what had happened. So the greatest gift you'll ever give anyone else is a heart full of Jesus, growing full of him. It comes back to saying something else. The key to marrying the right person, if you're single, is what? It's being the right person. I read an article just this week by a professor at Duke University who specializes in family. <laughs> he says, no one marries the right person. <laughs> no one marries the right person. He says, what happens? People get married. It's not because they married the right person, per se, and you can struggle with that theologically if you want. He says, what happens? They make the most of a marriage, and with God's help, they make it work. I think there's some truth in that. When we get to heaven, we'll find out how it all operated. And I do believe God brings people together. But he may have a point for us. So when our tank gets low, how do we fill it up? And if we don't do that, our family gets the leftovers of our life. And too often we give them the leftovers. We give our best somewhere else and we come home and give them the left. You know, you ever heard people say, well, you go to a memorial and say, oh, Fred, he, you know, he did the best that he could. I hear that all the time. I'm thinking, that's not true. None of us give our best. In fact, we don't have our best to give apart from God. The only way we give anybody our best is when God comes and he takes over our life. Then he gives far more than we could ever give on our own. No one can say, I gave my best apart from God's work in their life. But if he's there, then he actually gives more than we could give ourselves. So what are you filling your heart with? On a regular basis, the greatest gift we can give to our family on the weekend you know, we might, might want to zone out. I probably watched a little too much football yesterday. Easy for us to do that. I don't know if anybody else did. We, we give time to our recreation. But what begins to fill our cup? Will it give us the help, the acceptance, the relief, the assurance, the strength, the security, the freedom from guilt that we're looking for? God's saying, fill your cup with me. He will give us the hope that we need for the future. And no one is ever going to get to the end of their life and say, you know, if only I had watched more TV. But we're going to hear voices, oh God, why didn't I give you the time when I realized what I was looking for all along was you? Right? I can assure you the enemy does not want you to do that. That's why he'll do everything he can to prevent you and distract you from letting that happen in your life. And so the first thing we want to do is fill our cups with him, fill our hearts with him. And secondly, we want to adopt the design that thrives. Now, last week, we went through the whole design. So if you weren't here, you, you should, maybe you can get a hold of that uh, message, uh, CD out there, and, and uh, listen to it. I'd encourage you to do it as we looked at God's design. But here's the question. Can God fix what's broken? He can in any relationship. And we're talking about step families. He specializes in restoring broken things. That's who he is. That's who our God is. And Psalm 127 says it well. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. He's not talking about brick and mortar, nails and wood. He's talking about the lives on the inside of that house. He says unless God is active in there, 
We're going to waste a lot of time and effort, and there's going to be some vanity along the way. Now, we, we, we talked about this before. You know, we heard Frank say, I did it my way. And then Rick Nelson came along. He says, you can't please everyone, so you've got to please yourself. And then the great theologians, the Stones, came along later. <laughs> and they said, I can't get no satisfaction. Great theology from those three. I did it my way. Rick says, you've got to please yourself. And the Stones say, you can't get any satisfaction. It's guaranteed misery is all three of those. <laughs> And that's why God says he wants to build the house. So we turn to him and do it his way instead of our own. But folks, it takes time. It's not instant. It's not automatic. You know why? Because we all need directions. I like Psalm 32. It says this, don't be like a senseless horse or mule <laughs> that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. Next, verse, 38, uh, verse 8 says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. God knows what works. And it takes skill. It takes the, the right blueprint. It takes the hand of God on a family to rebuild. And so that as we practice it day after day, the, the, eventually the results come to show. Let me just give two quick pieces of counsel to step families. Some of you who are in those know this. But if I, when, if I were to ask you, who disciplines the kids in the step family when they're first first remarried surprises you those of us who are raised in the church it's not the new dad it's the biological parent who disciplines their own children first with the other parent they're supporting praying but staying out of the way and eventually you begin to build a relationship to where it comes you don't go you don't go next door to your neighbor's house and discipline their kids it doesn't work in a step family that relationship has to be built along the way we could go through many many other situations like this and um, uh, we could talk about finances. My encouragement there is go to a crown ministries because so many times the pain over kids and, and, and over money becomes tremendously difficult until we begin to do it God's way. And then number three, we have to deal with the past. And here's the question. Can God heal? God can fix broken things, but also can he heal? Can he heal the wounds that come from, from the pain of the past? Read this with me from Colossians chapter 3. Make allowance for each other's faults. Here, let's do it together. Here we go. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. God asks us to forgive, and he wants us to ask him for help to do that. And one of the challenges also is that if you're a parent and you've been divorced and remarried, be very careful not to badmouth that ex-mate in front of your kids, no matter how lousy of a person they were, because it will backfire on you eventually. That doesn't mean you deny the truth, but you could say, well, that comes up, mom or dad made a bad decision, God doesn't approve of it. And it hurts all of us, so we need to pray for them and we need to pray for ourselves that we will do what's right. It's okay to talk about that. That's not bad, man. That's a reality. I'm not talking about deny reality. And then the scriptures tell us what? Turn your case over to God. That's what we read in Romans 9. The Lord says, if you've got major league problems with them, turn it over to the Lord or try to go and reconcile. And if they refuse, if they'll never admit anything on their part, or they don't want anything to do with it, you've done your job. Leave it to the Lord and let him deal with it. And you can continue to pray to do what God wants. And then number four, establish a family covenant of agreements. 
And the question is, can God rebuild agreements in new families? Now, the verse that you have in your outline is the wrong one. I goofed up. I gave, uh, I wrote Matthew 19, 18. It's actually Matthew 18, 19. Okay, that's a good verse, just not the one I wanted. So let me read you the one I meant, okay? Matthew 18, 19 says this. Jesus speaks, and he says, I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. That means when we make agreements, we bring them before God, he gets involved. And when God gets involved, all that we were looking for begins to happen. And so we make covenants of agreements in a new family, just like we should in any family. Do you have any? Do you have any written down? Do we agree? Or otherwise we make up the rules uh, you know, as, as we go along. And when our kids were little, we did it, and sometimes we had to repeat it and put it on the refrigerator. You know why? Because they always forgot. You notice how kids forget at the right moment? Oh, I forgot. I just told you three seconds ago to take out the trash. Oh, I forgot, Dad. <laughs> so we had to do this. We had things on there, first of all. We, we had agreements. Where does God fit into this whole thing? What are our values? What attitudes are acceptable and not acceptable? What about responsibilities? What about rewards? How important is that to have agreements? And without it, families drift and they make up rules on the fly and it leads to a lot of inconsistency. Maybe you heard the story back in the Korean War, there were some GIs living in Seoul, Korea and uh, they were in an apartment by this time and they'd hired a, a young Korean boy and he was a young guy but he was also very small and he kind of was their cook and he did house cleaning and different things, he did errands for them. But they were always playing tricks on him. They thought it was a lot of fun. The custom was you came in the house, you took off your shoes, you put them down by the door. So one day, one of the guys thought it was kind of funny. He took the little Korean guys and he nailed his shoes to the floor. So he went to pick them up and they were stuck. And they all laughed, thought that was real funny. Another time he was so little, they said, hey, uh, he, he, one of the guys just picked him up and hung him on a coat hook. And he was kind of hanging, hey, get me down. And they said, well, you know what, it's fun. He's nice. We better quit teasing him this way. So they said, hey, look. You know, we're wrong. We shouldn't be teasing you that way. We just want you, we really do like you, and then we've kind of gone overboard with this thing. And, you know, and they kind of said, well, after all, we say we're Christian guys, so we shouldn't do that to you. And he said, uh, so, so no more tricks from now on. He said, he says, the little man says, no more tricks? Right, no more tricks. You mean none of them hang on hook? No more hang on hook? No more nail shoes to the floor? No more nail shoes to the floor. He says, good. Me no more spit in soup. So there are important to have some agreements along the way. Question, do you have a family mission statement? We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Our men's summit, as we started with the 30-plus guys that came, as Bill mentioned to you, is a great time. And we talked about when they're done, they'll have a written mission statement. And they'll, not only that, they'll have their life message written out. And it's going to be some neat stuff because less than 3 or 4% of our whole population has one of those. They might have business plans. They might have future financial plans. But very few have that. And what a difference it makes to their life. You know, as our kids were growing up, we did a lot of things imperfectly. But we had some rules. We had certain agreements like, you know, we all go to church on the weekend. As they got older in high school, said, you can pick the time and the service, but we're going. And if you even want to go to another church, fine, but we're all going. So we had some agreements. We had agreements about they had to do certain things. They had to do homework before they could uh, watch TV. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, in fact, on our kids uh, growing up, we did it with the oldest one, and the rest of them never asked. They get to watch one hour of TV a week between Monday and Friday. So we say, hey, which hour do you want to watch? You can half hour here, half hour there. And so that's what they got to watch until the weekend. 
People say, you couldn't do that today. Well, you probably could if you started young enough. So what do you think they did when they weren't watching TV? There were no video games in those days either. We're talking about right after Columbus landed, folks. <laughs> they started to read books. They got involved in sports. They got involved in youth activities. They did mission projects. They did all these things. There was also an unwritten rule that you're going to go to college. And guess what? You're going to pay for it as well. We'll help where we can, but you're going to work. And somehow that all became part of the culture. Then also became, you know, the, the unwritten rules of, of, of uh, we're going to serve together. Were we perfect? Absolutely not. Many flaws. But some of those agreements absolutely saved the family. Made parenting a hundred times easier because there was written agreements along the way. And then the next one. Step families build a lasting foundation, as does any family, when we serve others together. Now, folks, there's so much power in this one. Look at this in Philippians 2. They make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving each other, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. And sometimes families get into this us for and no more kind of thing. And it does not help any family. We have to learn to teach them to get eyes outward. And it became great as, as some of the kids, as we began to help them along the way. And uh, they went on mission trips. And two of our kids worked at Hume Lake and others had jobs. And I remember one year when the girls, uh, uh, to their brothers as well, announced, hey, it was either right before Christmas or after. We're going to the mission. We're going to the rescue mission. We're going to serve dinner. And they talked about that for a long time as one of the best Christmases they ever had. And then finally, the last one is pray as if your life depended on it. Do you know why? Because it does. Because it does. Yes, you're very wise. How many here carry insurance for your family of some kind? I can tell you right now, none of it compares with the power of prayer. All of them combined will not have as great an impact on your family and its future and its security as your prayer. And I can base that on the scriptures, Jesus' life and what Paul said and all the way through. In fact, notice this from Nehemiah. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. How often do we need to be praying for our families? Just what it says, day and night. Why? Because, folks, the rallying cry of every family it says, parents, you are the prayer shield. And grandparents, husbands and wives together, single parents. I was raised by a single mom. And I watched her pray day after day. When she died at 97, she was still praying for all of her boys, the youngest of whom was 63 at the time. Still praying all the way till the very end. Every family goes through spiritual and relational battles. Whether you're a nuclear family, whether you are step family, it doesn't matter. And we need that protection. Now, we have not had an open attack on this country in 10 years. How many think we should cut back on all the security measures the government's taking right now? Should we cut back on it? Why not? Because we still have enemies who have vowed they'd like to take us down. That's the reason for your family and mine to pray, because the same enemy says he wants to do that to our relationships. So does your family... And to know that you gave God every opportunity to work in your family, the key to that, the heart of it, is prayer. Am I giving God an opportunity every day? And all families need love, and they need moms and dads who model true faith and model prayer. 
And the goal is to build that faith in the God who hears and answers and begins to move through them as well. Little kids can learn to pray very, very early and make a difference in their family life. And it brings the wisdom of God and the favor of grace to our choices. And prayer invites God to bring the experience and expertise of his very best to rebuild and strengthen our lives. Let's pray together. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. In just a moment, we're going to partake of the Lord's table before we go. So I'm going to invite the men to come and pass that out right now, the cup and the bread. Would you please do that? And as they're coming, with your head's bowed and your eyes closed for a moment, I just want to invite you to talk to God in your heart just for a moment. All are invited to partake of the Lord's table. God's requirements are that we open our hearts to Him to receive what he has for us. Will you tell him today that you want him to have his rightful part in our lives and our families? Yeah, please come forward and begin passing it out, brothers. Can you say, Father, thank you for what you've done for me through your son, Jesus. You see, there was a sacrifice Jesus came so that we could be part of his family. Jesus came to restore our relationships. Let's go ahead and pass it out. And he came to remove the barriers between people and himself. And the sacrifice of Christ is what gives us our hope that we have a God who will hear us when we cry. Some of the names from 9-11 of a Todd Beamer and others who began to sense what was happening and tried to then to prevent any further damage, lost their lives. But Jesus gave his life so that we could have life. And we could have it in our families as well. The truth is this, all of us have come short God's requirements, of God's standards. We all come to Him with broken lives. We all have some wounds and hurts that we need His touch. And He will if we give Him an opportunity. So will you invite Him this morning to say, here are the areas of my life that I want you to touch. I want you to heal so you can bless. I want you to forgive me for the choices I've made. Everything that stood in a way of a relationship with God and us has been removed by the blood of Christ. Tell him in your heart what you want him to do in you. Invite him into those areas that still hurt or you struggle with. The secret areas you don't want anyone else to know about. Ask him to forgive and heal and deliver you and rebuild. That night of scripture says that Jesus took bread and he said, this is my body, it was broken for you. 
Jesus has gone through the pain of any kind of brokenness you have experienced. Not because of his own sin or failure, but because he took ours upon him. He knows the, whole, the, the pain of a broken home. He has experienced our pain. He gave up his life in sacrifice. And that sacrifice provides the healing and the forgiveness that we're looking for. He said, every time you take this bread, remember what I did for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. Scriptures tell us the same night, he took a cup. He said, this is the blood of my new covenant. It's different than the old one. The old one reminded us of our failure and our sin and our brokenness. But in and of itself, it could not heal. There's a new covenant guaranteed by Jesus himself that every promise he's ever given will never be broken. He invites us in spite of our failures, in spite of ignoring him. He says, if you will come to me, I will give you new life. I'll grant you mercy. I'll give you a new beginning. And I will fill your cup so that you will be able to bless others. But it cost him his life to do it. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. And let's sing this song in honor of what he's done for us. He is jealous Oh 